Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm chatting with Mark Mohammed Poor, owner and chief well-being officer at Chasing the Sun. After spending his career as an executive in public relations and losing and keeping 150 pounds over the decade off, Mark launched Chasing the Sun to empower business leaders to prioritize their well-being so they can shine in the family room and in the boardroom. We chat about why we need to focus on well-being now more than ever, what individuals, team leaders, and organizations can do to positively impact well-being, and Mark shares his journey to becoming a chief well-being officer. This episode is packed with tons of actionable insights and recommendations you can take today to live your best life and career. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Mark. It's great to be seeing you again, and welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Sadie, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, as you know, I was already sharing before the episode, in our first conversation, you inspired me so much to change my meeting schedule, especially virtual meetings, and I've already started to see benefits from that. So I know this is going to be a fantastic conversation, and I'm excited to dive in. Likewise, and I, I saw your, your Instagram post that you were doing that, and it, it's great that, that people can take immediate action on things and, and see results. So that's why we're here. Yes. So I have to ask, what inspired you to become a chief well-being officer? After spending my career in public relations, which is is a is a, a full job, it's 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 not nine to five. I think it's very similar to the experiences that your audience has day in and day out. There are no two days ever the same, Sadie, in our in our respective professions, and it's it's highly stressful. And I love it, but at the same time, there's a lot that goes on. And I got to a point in the early part of my career that I gained a significant amount of weight. I got to a point in 2007 that I was 350 pounds. And on the scale, it was bad enough, but I had trouble sleeping at night. I was breaking chairs in restaurants. I wasn't my normal positive self. I was really scared to go to the doctor, Sadie. I knew that the, the doctors were going to tell me I was on a track for type 2 diabetes. And I needed to make a change. And that's when I proposed to my now incredible wife, Christine, in December 2007. And she said yes. And I made some some changes to my, my diet and exercise. And over the course of the last decade plus, I've managed to lose and keep off nearly 150 pounds uh, naturally. And I'm proud to have kept that off ever since. And as a result of that, and after examining what business professionals are going through day in, day out, as far as just everyday stresses from their job, their family, their, their diet and exercise sometimes is impacted. And I want to be a resource for business leaders out there to prioritize their well-being. And so in 2019, after becoming certified as a personal trainer and a health coach and a nutrition coach, I, I launched Chasing the Sun. It's a wellness consultancy for business leaders and my mission is to empower people to prioritize their mental and physical well-being so they can shine in the family room and the boardroom. And that's where we're at today. I appreciate you sharing this story because it's something I can relate to very much. You know, I've been on some stressful tech teams and I know when I entered in consulting, everyone would joke about 
the consulting 15 or 20, right, that you gain from the job. It's not a great well-known fact that exists, but I love the way that you approached it, not just in being like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with my pant size or shirt size, right, as an indicator of your overall well-being and taking a look at your life of like, hey, what's wrong here? What's right? What do I need to change? And making those changes in a healthy and productive way is really inspiring. So thank you. And congratulations again for making such a big life change. That's incredible. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And uh, it's taken a lot of, of, of hard work, but it's, it's, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud. And it's given me a, a second chance at life, which was, which was really the goal. So I have to ask, you are chief well-being officer, which you started off in the fitness side, but there's so much more to well-being than just physical health. So what really is a chief well-being officer and what do you do? What do you help clients and people with? Sadie, we've seen over the last few years in the era of COVID and, and what is going to happen post-COVID, however that's defined, as this future state of work. The topic of future of work has been this topic for decades, right? The idea of, of how we interact with each other, how we work with each other has, has evolved. And we were always going to get to a point, Sadie, where we, we were going to be in an environment where we could work from home, we could work remotely. This is something that people have been doing for a long time. I, I was managing teams from my home for a long time, but it took a pandemic to be able to, to really look at that. What's happened as a result or is, a, is a number of things that would take days, if not weeks, for us to cover. But as, as it relates to, to this episode, we think about employees and people and their relationship with their job. And it's evolved significantly. For a lot of people, they thought about their job as, as obviously doing, a, 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 doing their work, but also as part of a social engagement interaction. And that's evolved significantly. We looked at people who just want to work and just get their job done and keep their heads down and, 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 and move on. And so we now have to come to a point, Sadie, where we are, are looking at, at companies and their relationship with employees. And we have to think about the changes physically and geographically of, of what that means to our, our organization. And because of that, and because there are going to be fewer physical offices and few opportunities for people to come into to, to, to companies, now companies need to really think about what's my relationship with my employees? And employees have to think about their relationship with their companies. And a lot of that comes down to why am I staying, why am I being a part of this company? How does this ultimately make me feel? Do I feel fulfilled? Am I part of this mission? Am I feeling physically, mentally, emotionally, financially healthy as a result? And so this is where this is where I come in. This is where People think about the well-being of the company and the employee comes into play, and it's making sure that there is a, a good relationship between the company and their employees so that they're set up for success, that they want to be part of the company, that they're advocates for the brand, that they're doing great work, they're more productive, and helping the company meet their business objectives. And so it, 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 takes, it takes people within organizations to be able to work with human resources, finance, IT, internal communications to be able to help make sure that we're setting and executing a strategy that is thinking about the mental well-being, physical well-being, emotional well-being, and financial well-being. And it, I'm honored to play 
a role with individuals and, and their employers on, on making that happen. I'm honored to have you play in this role because you are speaking my language with the future of work. I read the future of work report from the World Economic Forum in 2017, and it was a big inspiration for a lot of the programs that Women in Data has just in terms of the skills that are needed. But what you're talking about is so much more relevant here, not in terms of the skills, what we normally talk about in the terms of future work, but who are the people who are doing it and how has that changed? I mean, it wasn't less than a hundred years ago, we were working in farms and physical labor and we don't do that anymore, right? Like, as you mentioned, the physical environment has changed in how we work. And so much of what we do is mental, not only from a work standpoint, but now we need to have that mental aspect and relationship aspect as a focus for employees and organizations, because that is how the work has shifted. And I think it's happened so much faster than any of us have even realized because we've been part of the change. Absolutely. This was always going to happen, Sadie, but it, it could have been decades be, before there was a generational shift. And, and this and this took it. And it's it's a sharp shift. And it's been difficult and been challenging. And uh, but this this has happened. And and now it's it's causing this ripple effect. And we we think about employees and we think about you know the the power for lack of a better word, that they now have to be able to make decisions on, on their on their work environment, and and being able to want to be more flexible in in their in their working situation and um, and having more control. And it's it's about having a dialogue with your employer about it because ultimately, Sadie, what we want to do is we want to help reduce some stress and anxiety about what what the work environment is like, so that the employee themselves can feel healthier and feel more confident. In, in what they're doing. A lot of that is being able to break down some barriers and have some real dialogue uh, between the employer and the employee about, about that. But it's taken some, it's taking a lot of discussions and a lot of time in order to make that happen. But I'm confident that in, in the coming years, we'll, we'll, start, we'll, we'll, we'll start seeing some more normalcy as far as that's concerned. At least I hope so. Yeah, so you've started to identify really the need for us now more than ever to focus on well-being and touch on some of the outcomes from an individual level with a reduce of stress and anxiety. What happens to an organization as a whole, right, when we focus on this? So at an individual level, right, we may perform at a better level, we may have less stress. What happens when an organization does that? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I, and Again, a topic we could we could talk about all day, but I'll try to break it down into to two parts. The first is reputational. We think about companies and, and the ways in which that we research companies, whether it's on LinkedIn or Glassdoor or or, or word of mouth about what the reputation is, is like of the organization. And so a company that really cares about its employees can no longer really hide behind some of the challenges that employees have seen. Employee, prospective employees are going to do their research. This is something that's already happened and it's already, it's going to continue. If employees only want to work remotely, they are gonna have their choice of, of places to, to work at. If they wanna work in a hybrid environment, they're gonna have their, 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 their choices. And so that's gonna be coming down to what they hear from people and what they read about those organizations and those, and those organizations that are very clear and what that is, whether they need to have people in the office, whether they want to have hybrid or remote, the choice is up to the employer to determine that. 
But it's also up to the employee and the prospective employee to say, okay, that's going to be a fit for me. So that's one side on the reputational. And then there's obviously the financial impact as well. There's a lot of research that talks about the impact of having to replace employees. It, it can cost as much as a year's salary, if not 1.5 times, the cost to replace that individual, whether that's in lost productivity, uh, hiring an outside recruiting agency, and, and, and perhaps lost revenue as far as projects are concerned, be, be having, to, having to replace those employees. So there's a significant financial impact. Another area to think about financial impact is it relates to health insurance and benefits and the amount of, of time lost due to uh, lack of productivity and other stressors and, and impact of having to go to the doctor uh, if you're having you know, some challenges and, and what that means. So it's ultimately a reputational and then obviously a, a financial one, which is why companies should be looking at ways in which they're thinking about the well-being of, of their employees as, as an integral part of their leadership strategy. I mean, those are some pretty great benefits, right? Not only from a reputational, but a financial side. So like, where do we get started? Like, I'm ready to dive in. <laughs> what can I do at an individual level to focus on my well-being? And then as a leader, team leader, what's your recommendations for organizations yeah. there? Yeah, it's a great question. So we know that 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 individuals and their performance makes teams better, which makes the companies better, which makes their clients or their stakeholders better, and but it all starts with the individual. And I think it's empowering the individual to make sure that they prioritize their well-being. And I have four primary primary parts of whenever I work with organizations to help their employees design what I call their their accountability plan. The first is that we're influencers, Sadie. We are all leaders in some way, shape, or form. And I don't mean social media influencers. I mean we influence. The future generation, Sadie, you influence people through 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 your organization and the people that that you connect with. Your listeners are all influencers in some way, shape, or form. Everybody looks up to us, and I don't mean that to put pressure on ourselves, but it is about impact. It is about our purpose and and what what and what we do. So I really ask people who you influence and why that's important. So that's the first thing. The second is about what's in our control. When, and I come from a weight loss perspective. Not everybody has this has, has the same challenge, but I think the, the idea can apply. When I started my weight loss journey, Sadie, I was really overwhelmed. What, where do I start? I started with my breakfast. I realized that I used to drink a 500 calorie mocha and eat a 500 calorie scone, and by 8 a.m. every morning had 1,000 calories in my stomach. I said, you know, I could probably shift to green tea and maybe a spinach fat wrap or a breakfast wrap. I cut my caloric intake by 70% at breakfast from 1,000 to 300. And I was able to implement that idea throughout the day. Now that's a tactic. That, that's a, that is, and, and I, again, I come from a public relations and communication standpoint. So it's about what's in my control versus the overall kind of outcome, which is, not always in our in our control. PR is about earning, you know, uh, articles in, in newspapers and magazines, and you don't ultimately control what the reporter has to say, but you can control uh, writing the press release, sending the tweet, writing the newsletter, stuff like that. That's completely within your control. And I try to tailor that approach to 
my own my own well-being. So that was in my control. So that's my second concept is around uh, what's in my control. The third is around time. Time is the one resource we, we don't get back. We're having this conversation be, because we value it. Your listeners are listening to this episode because they find value. We're not going to get this time back. At the same time, to make sure that we are focusing on ourselves first, we have to, we have to make time for ourselves. No one else is going to make time for us. And so that means blocking out our calendar. That means thinking ahead. And we're going to maybe talk about vacation a little bit. But really, how are we going to make time for this and, and not letting outside interests impact that? And then the fourth concept is, is our backup plan. What's our plan B? So let's say, say to you, you are going to exercise class three times a week. It's at 5 p.m. And it's 4.30. You need to log off to go change clothes or, or, or you know, drive or commute to the facility. And you get a text message at 4.25. And it's going to impact whether or not you're going to be able to go to that class. So what's your plan B? So that instead of when that happens to you and you get frustrated and you might spiral in a different direction, you know what you're going to do next. And I'm not going to suggest what that is. I want you to answer that for yourself because I don't want to give that direction. I don't, I don't live your life. It could be you're going to give yourself grace. It could be you're going to take the next exercise class. It could mean you're going to take a walk around the block. Whatever that is, I want you to feel in control of that. So from an individual standpoint, those are my, my four concepts. We influence people. We need to get tactical. We need to make time. And we need to figure out a backup plan. So that's at the individual stage. As we think about- So I can tell you, I want to pause there for a second if that's okay. Because <laughs> there's so much goodness in this that I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this for a second. I can tell you my plan B, because that happened to me all the time with the workout. So your examples are perfect. My plan B was, I have to work out in the morning because then less people can bother me. But I yeah. love your point about that we are all influencers. And I just had a great call this week with one of my mentees and she shared her story of why she wants to make this career change because she wants to set that example for her kids. And it really resonated with what you're saying with we're all influencers is we don't know who's watching us. And I think the best people to watch us are usually our kids, right? They're watching our every little move. And even the things we may not realize, right? Like what we're choosing for breakfast and how that affects our life. And so I love these examples because they're very actionable, right? And this seems like the foundation for anything we want to do, whether it's career related, personal related, if we can really truly understand that we're all influencers, identify what's in our control, make time for ourselves and figure out a plan B, I mean, the results will just be fantastic. I agree. It, it's what worked for me and for, for a lot of people over the years. And, and, I, and I think it helps check a, a number of boxes. From my vantage point, it came from a physical health, right? So I was very concerned about that. But I knew that my weight loss journey was going to positively impact my mental health. When I was 350 pounds, I wasn't, I wasn't positive all the time. I wasn't as sunny as I usually am. Um, and so I knew that I knew that it was impacting me mentally. And, and I think for us who, you know, are, are, are living through some, some mental challenges, it, it, a lot of it comes down to making sure that we, we know that we influence people that we're important to people and, and really bringing our egos in with us. Sometimes, sometimes we check our egos a lot at the door and I want us to help bring those in because we do influence people and it's a good, it, it's good to remind ourselves to what level we do so. 
Yes. So talking about influence, once you become a leader of a team in an organization, your influence may expand a little bit more, although every team player has an influence in that team. So do these approaches work at a team level or are there different approaches you should take at a team level? I think they, they, they definitely apply. I think there's another added layer to this. So when you're a manager of a team, you're coming in with your own experiences and some of that you've read, some of that's part of education at university level. And sometimes it's impacted by your first manager that, that you had. And you want to, to mimic how, how, how they, they led because perhaps it's the only experience that you have. The challenge with that is that sometimes there's some unwritten rules that have become stuck in your head about how you manage people and how you engage with people. And when those unwritten rules aren't, aren't spoken about, that can cause a lot of ambiguity as far as expectations are concerned. And when that happens, you can increase stress and anxiety and just a lot of uh, conflict and challenges across your team. And that's everything, Sadie, from when we take our paid time off, when meetings are scheduled, what are our standard communications channels, um, why we need to schedule meetings, all of these things that as a team, especially in this global remote world that we're in, we have to have some sort of uniform understanding as far as how we as a team are going to operate. I call it designing a, a workplace charter. It's basically a, a one-page document that, that goes through what, how are we as a, as a team going, going to work together. And every team within an organization are going, to have, are going to have their own set of rules based on their deadlines and, and their priorities and, and, and the, the, type of, you know, the, 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 the type of employees and the business units that they're a part of. But anything we can do to document those unwritten rules is going to be really key. And I think it's a really strong side of leadership especially when those leaders can go through a process with their teams and design this together. So you are making those rules as far as, so for instance, taking time off. CD, you want some data? Mm -hmm, I do. <laughs> the U.S. Travel Association, we're recording this in early March, 2022. Over the last few weeks came out with some data around Americans taking paid time off. Americans in 2021, on average, left nearly a full work week on the table of, of PTO. And there, we could talk for hours, if not days, around some of the, the issues and challenges around that. But the reality is, is we've left a lot of time on the table. And there's a lot of excuses why. Uh, we have nowhere to go, so I might as well work. Or my boss hasn't taken time off, so I won't either. Or I won't get promoted if I take all this PTO. I see my peer doing so, and they're going to get are not taking time off, and and I have to follow their lead, which is a huge optics issue. And unfortunately, it's coming at the cost of our of our mental and, and physical well being. And so, having a discussion around how to operationalize that, how to think about taking your time off, is is really important. Thinking about meetings. We standardize, especially in this remote era, of, of being on video all the time. There's data from Microsoft that came out last year that said if you're in back-to-back -back meetings on video, your stress levels go higher. 
And when you take breaks in between video calls, you're, you, you are less stressed. But when we default, Sadie, to video calls and we default to 60-minute calls and we default to 30-minute calls and we default to meetings around status updates and everyone goes around and gives a status update, that adds to the stress, it adds to the number of meetings, which then reduces the amount of time that we can spend focusing our, on ourselves. So the more discussion we can have on that, the, the more hours we can save. If we can save three to four hours a week on video meetings or some that can become walk and talk meetings, there's a lot of benefit there. Uh, standardizing our communications channels so that we're not managing 10 different ways in which we're communicating with ourselves. These are unwritten rules that I, I think can be documented, Sadie, be discussed during the hiring process, during being discussed during the onboarding process, whether you are hiring somebody from outside your organization or perhaps you are, you're looking to hire somebody to join your team within the organization. How does that team operate? It's all about increasing transparency so that the employees know what to experience going in. Because we're adults, we know that sometimes our jobs are not nine to five, Monday through Friday, but there's a big difference between that and this very ambiguous time frame of, of when we need to be online. That's the other thing is being online on nights and weekends. Can we be more specific on what that looks like? Again, all to be able to help set expectations so that people know going in what to expect. And that's what, that's what we're talking about as far as from a team standpoint. And this is great for the data community because we talk a lot about curiosity and the need for curiosity in a data career. And nothing speaks to curiosity than identifying unwritten rules, right? To really be able to dive in there we have to one, get curious about ourselves, it sounds like, but then get curious about the team, how we operate. And really, it sounds like these unwritten rules are what really define our culture. Absolutely. And I think we, we cannot be afraid to talk about that. We also have to talk about how that ladders up to, to our overall values. I, I speak with college students all the time that are thinking about what sort of values they're looking for from organizations that they join. They want to increase emphasis in diversity, equity, and inclusion. They want more focus on community. They want more focus on work-life balance. And as an employer, as a hiring manager, as a recruiter, these are things to think about in, in, when you're speaking about in terms of your values and getting very granular as far as what that means. Vague, overarching values mean nothing if you can't get specific on what that's going to mean for, for the employee. And I think that's an opportunity for us as we think about what the future of work looks like, what the relationship between the employee and the employer looks like to be able to get, to get more granular, to, to have those discussions. Because we're at a point now, Sadie, for the foreseeable future where employers really need to sell themselves in a way that perhaps hasn't been done before in a long time, if ever. Yes, and I really hope this inspires the data community to be the leaders in this wellness change because you mentioned we can't just have these values and nothing supporting it right and being people who love data we know we can't just have a kpi and not know the drivers of that kpi right just as we can't have values and know what are the underlying actions that support those values so 
I encourage all the listeners to take that data mine and apply it to wellness because there are enormous benefits that could be had in this area. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) I want to wrap up then with this question, just to talk a little bit then about what can be done at the executive level and the organization level. So you've done a great job identifying at an individual, but now looking at the executive level. So we talk about influence and I think we, if you're an executive, you really have to realize that everybody is watching every single step that you take, how your emails are crafted, how your phone calls are run, how your all staff meetings are, are handled. Um, when you're on vacation, are you sending email? Are you, are you joining calls or, or do you have trust in, in your team? How transparent are you around, um, you know, some of the challenges that, that, that you might be, be having and, and how you're, you're, you're overcoming that. Um, it is leading by example and it's really sh- showing that people are, are, are looking at you and it's not to be pressure. It's not to show pressure. This is really an opportunity to help build trust uh, across your team. And that can be challenging depending on the person. This is, this, this is not an easy thing and, and it's not going to work for, for everybody, but I want us to come with the mindset of uh, if you're an executive that people are, are looking up to you and, and, and to think about that and to take time for yourself because it's not only gonna impact you, it's gonna impact your organization and they're gonna appreciate that and they're gonna to wanna to stay. The other part of this, Sadie, is recognizing just the increase in the amount of benefits that, that companies have added to, to, to positively impact mental and physical health. We're seeing, whether it's mobile apps or, or physical apps, uh, stipends for gym memberships, uh, uh, you know, allowances for therapy. I know there's a lot of work with health insurance to try to make those benefits happen. I think that's great. I think the next opportunity is making sure that the communication is, is made strategically to your to your employees in a way that everyone receives it and depending on the company the way that people receive information is going to be different how factory workers receive information is going to be different than people who sit in in you know in an office all day and so making sure that we're thinking through the communications channels of that to make sure that they know the benefits to them and they're thinking through the strategic approach is going to be really key because we want people to use those benefits because it's to help the employee. And, and so the opportunity to work with human resources and internal communications to make sure that there, there's strategic initiative to how those are, are, are communicated is, is only gonna to benefit the employee than ultimately the organization. Yes, and we spend so much time building customer acquisition models and personalized recommendation models for our customers I think we need to take some of those same methods and apply them back to our employees, right? So this is a great suggestion. And again, another opportunity for data professionals to to kind of lead some of this charge of like not using those algorithms just to promote getting customers, but make employees life better as well. Well, this is exciting. Lots that can be done. This is fantastic, as we like to say, actionable insights that you gave us. So thank you. I'm sure people have a lot more questions or would love to learn more about your work and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? So my website is chasingthesunpdx.com. You can email me at mark, M-A-R-K, 
at chasingthesunpdx.com. I'm on Instagram or Twitter at Markmo, M-A-R-K-M-O-H. And I'm very active on, on LinkedIn. You can just find me at Mark Muhammad Poor. And I'm, uh, it's my mission to help empower people to prioritize their mental and physical well-being. And so it's an honor to be here and, and, and hopefully have the opportunity to, to work with some of your listeners. I hope so too, because just in these two conversations, you've already helped me a ton. I have my actionable insights of what I'll be taking from here and <laughs> making sure that I'm setting a good example um, for what I want everyone and myself to be around me. So thank you. Thank you. If you're ready, we can go ahead and dive into some rapid fire questions to wrap up this episode. Let's do it. All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? My favorite band is Oasis, the 90s rock band from Manchester, England. The One of my favorite songs is a song called Slide Away. Uh, it has a phrase that includes chasing the sun, which is in part how this was, was named. There are a lot of other reasons, but that, that is on, that's on repeat. We must be on the same frequency because I have been listening to a lot of 90s music lately. So definitely going to go play that after this episode. <laughs> It's the best. Favorite place you've traveled? Switzerland. It's just a beautiful country and uh, was, was there a few years ago, um, right before the Women's World Cup in, in 2019. My wife and I went to uh, Switzerland before we, we headed to France to follow the U.S. women's team around and just beautiful. You have to experience it. Happiness is? Happiness is being comfortable with who you are. And, 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 being comf and, and if you're able to do that, I, I think you can be happy. Oh, that's beautiful. That's going to be my thought for today. <laughs> In the next five years, I hope to. I hope to be healthy. I hope that my friends and family are healthy and that I'm continuing to, to live this mission. And if, if we can achieve that, I, I will feel incredible. Last but not least, to me, curiosity is? Curiosity is being humble. Leadership is about being humble. It's about asking questions. It's about knowing that you don't have all the answers. And, and it's about knowing to have smart people around you. It's one of the things I've learned in leadership is that I, I can't have all the answers. I shouldn't have all the answers. And if I have great people doing great work, that's going to make them look good. It's going to make me look good. And it's going to look, make the whole group look good. Be humble. Yes. Now I got a little Kendrick Lamar sit down, be humble playing in my head too. So I think we got a whole playlist from this, this is episode. Be a great, this is going to be a great playlist. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Mark, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope that we get the chance to talk again soon. Likewise, it was a pleasure, Sadie. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, everyone. We will be chatting with you again soon. And in the meantime, stay curious and keep learning. Have a great day. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.